0: Welcome back to Jokerman. This is Side B of uh, yeah, side. of Desire, and uh, we hope you have the desire to join us. Uh, we desire to finish this episode. It is our desire to start with the next song on the record. Um, this is Evan, and my co-host is here, still here, Ian. Yeah. And uh, we are we are recording alfresco uh, at night from Prospect Park. And there's the moon, and there are bats, and there's uh, one star in the sky, and uh,
1: I think it's a planet. I saw that the other night.
0: <laughs> it's a planet. Okay. And uh, <laughs> one planet, and uh, the sound of cicadas, and uh, people going home.
1: Yes. Fortunately, we have uh, we've moved far away from the. Uh, karaoke singers So we're no longer Going to be uh, Serenaded by The sounds of No Doubt And blink 82" And, and Whatever else Is going on Over the there
0: happening. Who sings Black Hole Sun <sighs>
1: um, Oh fuck Black Hole Sun It's uh, Is
0: that Chris Cornell Of
1: Of um, Super Something Right No Uh, black
0: hole sun, <laughs> black hole sun. Don't <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can't uh, whatever. This isn't about black hole sun. This is about Bob Dylan. <laughs> well said. And uh we're, we're now um, just uh, beginning flipping your record over and uh, listening to Soundgarden. Not down, super guarded. Sound Soundgarden. Soundgarden.
1: We're on to the second side of the record, uh, which begins with uh, the longest song on the record and perhaps the longest song in Bob's um, entire discography. What? I, if you know a longer. song What do song... you mean? Hmm. Oh, well, about? I guess good point. Yeah. I. I, I, I is
0: just is entire discography. Are you just forgetting uh, Tempest? In, up, are you forgetting Murderous Spell?
1: Up until the last. Yeah, are I, you
0: forget? Are you forgetting uh, Desolation Row? And Sad-Eyed Des- Lady of the Lowlands? How uh, long is this song? I
1: don't know that they beat Joey. Joey's 11 and a half minutes long. So, that's pretty so long. Yes, uh, Tempest and, and Murder Most Bound definitely absolutely beat it. Um, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands and Desolation Row we'll, we'll take a look. Um, but
0: it's a long song, and uh, Joey is a it's a long song that's kind of... Uh, I think that it takes the cake for longest song about a uh, about a person, like a about a living person, like, based on a real-life person. Could well be. I think that's, that must be true. Unless there's some, like, song about... Uh... No, I don't think that there's another song that is about... It's the longest song about a gangster.
1: That's absolutely true actually I'm, I'm fact-checking myself uh, live sad-eyed lady of the lowlands and desolation Moreau both have it beat by about 20 seconds so
0: oh wow that's cool that's not even that you weren't that far off. It wasn't that far and, off. and to be fair uh, tempest and uh murder most foul could be uh classified as something beyond uh, simple tracks those right are, those are like mini albums
1: Anyways, Joey, yeah, is uh, a long song about a, a gangster. Basically. Yeah, it's Joey a, Gallo.
0: So Joey Gallo, I didn't take the time to look this up because I uh, forgot. But the story that he describes is it not the guy who's killed in the, the Martin Scorsese film, The Irishman, who is in the is in Umberto's clam house? It
1: it literally is. And it it is him. There him were Bob he, references. The clam he man. talks about the clam house yeah, in the exactly. streets Umberto's,
0: of Little Italy. Yeah. Uh, by all accounts, a absolutely horrific man right. who was, uh, had it coming, basically. <laughs> One of the least sympathetic moments, the only, the really fucked up thing uh, about his death was that it was in a public place in front of his family. Um, yes. And uh, as Martin Scorsese would have it, it was uh, committed by um, none other than Frank, Sheer. Frank Sheeran, uh, as played by uh, Robert De Niro. Old Bobby D. And uh, so we've got another Bobby D. Yeah,
1: uh, we do. I never made that
0: connection. The Bobby D...
1: Uh, I wonder what it would be like if Robert De Niro played Bob Dylan. Maybe maybe that should be what they do in Going Electric instead of Timmy C. Have Bobby D. C? Timmy C. Oh, Chalamet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <All> right. <laughs>
1: what are you talking to are you talking to me?
0: I, I'm now I'm trying to imagine de- present-day De Niro doing old-time buff. God, that was so awful to think about. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, uh, this is about uh, a little boy growing up in... in uh, born in
1: Red Hook, In Red Brooklyn.
0: Hook, Brooklyn, and we're actually in... Bro- have you ever been to Red Hook? I
1: have, yeah, that's where the IKEA is. It, yes. <laughs> yes, and
0: it's also, uh, formerly it was sort of a, a center of fishing and industry. It still yeah. is a sort of uh, industrial zone to some degree, there's a lot of warehouses, but now a lot of those have uh, people who work for Uber or uh, Amazon living in them, and uh, there's uh, a few art 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 places, sort of art establishments, and um, yeah, and uh, the uh, H.P. Lovecraft uh, story, a very racist story called The Horror Red Hook.
1: Oh, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it's just on the other side of the park. What? Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft's out, it's like down in Prospect Leopards.
0: H.P. Lovecraft lived in Brooklyn Uh at one point,
1: yeah, he's got a hat. Like, it's
0: I thought he lived and died in Providence.
1: I think I mean I think he died up there, but yeah, there's uh, his uh, his house here is is just a a scant mile away from us.
0: Oh yeah, well I I guess why else would he make a song about a song? (laughs) Why else would he make a story about Red Hook? But um, yeah, no that that story is one of his worst. Just just because it's like bad, it's just not very cohesive. It's pretty bad. Um, Anyway, Red Hook, this boy. Uh, grows up in Red Hook and uh, and he becomes a gangster and then he goes to jail and uh, he gets out of jail and this this whole song anyway is just very uh, like kind of uh, unashamedly, unabashedly uh, pr- praising uh, who someone who is a criminal and uh, just uh a gangster, a low lowlife. Uh, but we could take the other tack and sort of think about how this song uh, is a celebration of the, uh, the old ways, the old timey characters. A real character. Someone who murdered many people.
1: Yes, yeah, he is definitely a real character. But a um, character
0: nonetheless, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so here's kind of where I think. The, someone um,
0: someone who sorry like <laughs> but like this song is about someone who probably without thinking twice would have put a bullet in a in the head of, of hurricane
1: yes well uh, interestingly according to Bob, oh, you at know least, what his best friends in prison were black men
0: I, d- I take that back you're right according to the song uh, it is I'm dead wrong this is actually about a ally uh, social justice uh Maverick.
1: Really. Yes, some, someone who amplifies the uh, voice of voice, uh, yeah. people people of color.
0: Hi, good night. Water Gatorade beer.
1: We're okay, thank you. Um,
0: you don't want water Gatorade or beer?
1: No, I've got water and I've had plenty of beer. I've got Gatorade waiting for me at home <laughs> if I need it.
0: Your wife heating up the Gatorade <laughs> as we speak. Yeah.
1: Yes, so so there is there, there is a bit of tension here in in the song, Joey. Uh, in that Bob has painted a very romantic uh, portrait of a seemingly, you know, wrongly persecuted American Why hero. they want to blow you down. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, in the but, film
0: The Irishman, you learn why.
1: Right, yeah, he's, uh, it, by all accounts, you a know... A fucking psychopath. A uh, murderous mobster, exactly, who, uh, by, by some uh, other... Accounts was was in fact uh, quite the a, a virulent racist, uh, you know, kind of at odds with Bob's characterization of him uh, in prison, being friends with uh, with black men. Um, but so here's you know kind of where I think that the, this this like way of looking at this record that I mentioned earlier uh, it comes comes back into focus for me, um, which is that it's this, again it's this fusion of like you know the protest song. Uh, of the early 60s with these kind of character studies of the later 60s. And so just as Hurricane, you know, he he may or may not have been as squeaky clean as Bob painted him in the song. Certainly he seems to have been wrongly accused and tried. Um, But, uh, you know, there there were likely some uh, less attractive elements of his personality that Bob sort of delighted in that song uh, to paint this more romantic picture of the falsely accused Boxster. Here we have the, you know, the the gangster with the heart of gold. Um, And, you know, The the fact remains, you know, it it probably wasn't strictly true as as far as um, as far as we can tell. Um, But I think it still it still works not from a like a biography standpoint, but from a character standpoint. Like I think I think this Joey fits in to the to the uh, the constellation of Bob song characters uh, alongside the drifter and uh, and the the poor, the poor immigrants. Um, and Lily and Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. And so I like I, this. The, the Joey of this song is a fictional character for me. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, he might as well be. Right. And I think that's the best way to think about it is uh, not as a literal praising of a ne'er do well of somebody who would har- harm an innocent. But uh, you know, the myths we tell ourselves about who is the idealized uh, criminal. Somebody like Billy the Kid in a uh, in. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Yeah, Somebody absolutely. Who, who is uh, this myth? Even if it doesn't exist in real life, a uh, sort of comforting uh, idea that there is a criminal who has some kind of code of honor, who ultimately is against the, the dead, the dead and flat, and uh, oppressive uh, elements of our society. And is sort of like a thorn in the side of uh, all that is without uh, spirit. Right. Yeah. Put it that way. That that this character is a a unique human life.
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of not too far off from... uh, one of the touchstones that we've raised several times in the past, uh, but, you know, the same kind of thing that uh, David Chase was after in The Sopranos. This, planos, this yes, sort of, like, mythical, my uh, mythical vision of the the uh, classical American gangster who may or may not have ever actually existed and in actuality probably never did, uh, but nevertheless persists as this uh, this sort of character character. Um, or archetype in our minds that we want to believe is true, even if he didn't actually. Do this.
0: Right, and, and there's actually a line which I think ties. It reminded me of the Sopranos because he he, uh, he says that after he gets out of jail in the story, Joey gets his clothes back, and it's in the '70s, but his clothes are are old. He has clothes that make him look like Cagney, and he looked great, and he references uh, Cagney, and uh, in the Sopranos, Tony is sort of, like, kind of looks to, to Cagney as, like, a, a sort of ideal uh, version of himself. In right, a way. yeah, I he, think... He, he actually watches old James Cagney right.
1: movies. It's, it's either a Jimmy Cagney movie or a World War II documentary. Is it but James he always, or Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy Cagney? Yeah, James, Jimmy Cagney,
0: yeah. And, uh, yeah, he... So there... In, in the song it says, and he looked great, which it, it, it is a thing that actually also happens in Sopranos, where people get out of jail and, like, you have the instances where people get out of jail and their their clothes that they're wearing are from the 80s. Uh, like, uh...
1: Yeah, it's, it's uh, it's like that in, in the fifth season. Who's the older guy that gets out at the same time as, uh, Rich Tony No, 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 not oh, uh, he, uh,
0: yes, the one who play, who's played
1: by, um... Who beats up the gardener and stuff. Yes, yeah,
0: a wonderful performance by, uh, Robert Loja plays him. Uh, played incredibly by Robert Loja, one of my favorite character actors of all time. Uh, He's great.
1: Yes, it's a, a similar kind of uh, a spirit or character. Yeah, although uh, he's a Joey. total monster. Right, which probably character. reflects uh, a little more closely the actual Joey Gallo's uh, state of mind. In yeah, the in,
0: in the Irishman, he's he's whack because he's uh, disrespectful and a loose can even for the professional murderers of the new york mafia
1: yes yes interestingly bob got bob got a ton of shit for this song uh when it came out really yeah people because he had just been assassinated like three or four years earlier um uh when the when the song came out he just died in 72 i think um and uh, lester bangs wrote like a huge long kind of takedown of bob having written this song why because because he was so pissed at Bob having romanticized this like uh, this you know uh, awful uh, gangster character um and I think Bob took some of that criticism to heart interestingly he he uh in 2009 claimed in an interview that Jacques Levy wrote all the lyrics to this song oh. and that he himself simply sang it threw him under the bus which seems like a very convenient uh, a convenient excuse uh, on, on Bob's part um, especially considering Levy died in 2004
0: and considering that you're Bob Dylan and uh, like I, if anybody is going to make the excuse, oh, I didn't write the words; right. I just sang it. Like... He's never
1: had he's never had problem crediting yeah. like a song like Alberta to himself, and now so, now now we've got a song that he actually does have a real writing credit for, and he's just saying someone else wrote these. So it's the entire it's a thing.
0: fictional portrayal uh, in post. We've decided that it is a fictional version <sighs> of Joey Gallo.
1: Right. Um, anyway, it's uh, it's all right. It's a good know? song. I, I like it. I, it, it. It's eleven minutes long, but it goes it goes by quickly. Like it, for some reason, it, this is a more enjoyable song to me than um, something like "Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts." Yeah. But, um, it uh, whether it's the additional musical flourishes. There's some nice accordion on this song, so it right? Goes especially to the that
0: little point where it says she was born into the sound of the accordion, right? And exactly.
1: The accordion kind of flares up in the background. You hear a,
0: little, a little accordion
1: some good uh, backing vocals. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's that's Joey. Joey. I don't remember
0: how it goes. Yeah, no, that's, that's how it goes. Joey.
1: Yeah. Um, King of the streets, Child of Pain. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, sort of a counterpoint, you know, the, the, the flip side to Hurricane, which starts off side A, we get Joey on side B. Uh, but that takes us to the second song on this second side, Romance in Durango.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful... Sort of Spanish tinged uh, uh, ballet.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. Spanish is absolutely the operative word here. Uh, we have we have lyrics in the Spanish tongue, yeah, uh, as uh, well as a Spanish guitar.
0: Right, right. And it's it's nice. I mean, it's nice as those things go. As you've got a Spanish, as as it goes with like a a, a Bob Dylan, a, a white guy, just like putting on some Spanish affect uh, it, it works pretty well I guess it's, it feels a little tacked on but you know
1: yeah I would I would say this is sort of the Mozambique side too me right in that, that <laughs> it's
0: about a uh,
1: it's the best song
0: another culture
1: <laughs> yeah uh, yeah the, here's here's the other uh, another instance of that world music aspect of desire which I don't even know if world music was like a codified thing at this point um I'd be curious to know, like, the history of world music. Yeah, well, Paul Simon invented it in 1984. I
0: was listening to Paul Simon today. That sucks. It was good. <laughs> Pretty good.
1: We're gonna let we're gonna let this one slide for the time <laughs> being. It's getting dark. Um, interestingly, uh, Eric Clapton uh, played the Spanish guitar on this right. song.
0: Right. He was uh, present th- at various points throughout the recording process of this record, and uh, early on at the very. Uh, catastrophic early days of the recording, the early sessions for this record, uh, Clapton uh, said he had to get out of there. It was like a mess. He needed to get go out and get some air because it was a cr- chaos. But apparently he came back to do a little bit of his Spanish guitar. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, uh... You know, this is, uh... I don't, I don't know that I have a, a whole lot to say about romance and Durango," other than maybe, you know, it, it sounds like something that could have and uh, maybe should have belonged on Pat Garrett.
0: You know, it's interesting thinking about uh, Bob and uh, Eric Clapton uh, being together on this song. You could call it bromance in Durango. Ah. Uh-huh.
1: You could. Clapton sucks.
0: Yeah, I don't... Well, uh, we have to bring up, uh... Uh, a current musician again, um, Phoebe yes, Bridgers. Who has also who, canceled Eric Clapton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's on a roll. She's on a tear. She wants to kill uh, Bob Dylan for stealing uh, music and she wants to uh, have Bo- uh, Eric Clapton's head on a pike for uh, being uh, mediocre. Um, uh, I, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah, I, uh, as far as. Uh, uh the musicians to cancel go uh, Eric Clapton is fine by me I think he sucks also
0: it's not something that I have a feeling about I don't think about Eric Clapton very much that's fair but I don't know that's possible to. <laughs> <laughs> except that I think Phoebe Bridges was a little uh, harsh uh, because um, uh, you know Air Clapton son die. Yes. You can never take that away from me.
1: <laughs> okay, we'll cut this part. <laughs> uh Black Diamond Bay uh played once uh in Bob's entire history as a uh professional showman uh in in May of nineteen seventy six. One of the more misunderstood songs on the record, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Why do you say that?
1: Uh, I had never, before coming back to the record for this latest kind of uh, refamiliarization with it, I never made the connection about what exactly was going on in this song. Do you know? Uh, uh, can you explain exactly what the, what sort of the uh, arc of this story is? Because this is this is yet another story song. No. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, yeah, so it uh, Black Diamond Bay is a is a bay in some sort of unnamed island, uh, which uh, which experiences a volcanic eruption and ultimately sinks into the ocean, uh, killing everyone on it, uh, including all the characters that we had followed along.
0: No, not our characters.
1: At the beginning of the song, uh, before we we flash over to uh, the narrator, uh, in the very last verse, who is presumably Bob. Uh, who's sitting at home in L.A. watching Cronkite, uh, and decides that he doesn't care about the sinking of Black Island Bay and all of the murder, or not murder, but all of the death that has happened there. Uh, and he gets up and gets another beer and turns off the television because he was never going to go to Black Island Bay anyway. You mean Black Diamond Bay? Black Diamond Bay, yes. It's
0: the hardest bay to ski. Right,
1: yeah. <laughs> um... So yeah, I, I just for some reason I, I never really zoned in on the lyrics of this song. Until I, I I actually started paying attention. Yeah, and so uh, and so that's that's the story that's being related here. Literally that sounds a,
0: like a different writer. Was sort of was does. this written with uh, Jacques Levy?
1: This is another Jacques Levy. See, yeah.
0: I feel a Jacques Levy uh, hand his fingerprints all over this because that seems like a
1: different type of writing to me it, uh, well it does and it doesn't it, there's because of the, the characters that we're introduced to there's there's a Greek uh, who's referred to just as the Greek uh, several times um, and a woman I think of some sort also and a couple other people um, the characters all engage in sort of some some, uh, prototypical Bob exploits. Uh, there, there's some gambling going on. There, there's. Some I think that's
0: where I tune it. out. Is just like people are gambling, and then I just kind of go like, all right, yeah. It, it's a know, gambling song. It's about. It's a. This is a song about trains. It's like right, I think so. about like okay, this is like a just kind of a filler like Grateful Dead number where they've just got you know gambling trains and crows or whatever.
1: It's 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 very much in the lineage of something like. Uh, Something like Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts, um, just in terms of what's going on. <laughs> Lily in the song. Rosemary
0: and the Johnny Depp. <laughs>
1: uh, everyone's wearing scarves, um, which I guess you know probably because Bob, an, Bob it, was wearing a lot of scarves. Oh yeah, this we should time.
0: talk about Bob's fashion sense during this period because uh, it's honestly one of the most important parts of it to me. <laughs> it's like of, more important uh, than the record is just Bob's. Uh, drip and Steez Well we might want time. to
1: If we're going to If we're going to Dive into Hard Rain Which is a document Of the Rolling Thunder Tour We might want to save Some of our Sartorial commentary For that Sure but we
0: should Talk about the record cover We should talk about The record cover it makes it unavoidable Like Bob is um, Looking very good He's got like He looks Bob Dylan is someone Who's been about 17, 16 25 different people uh, throughout his life. He just looks completely different at various points. Yes. And, uh, this point was a real sweet spot for, like, some kind of weird... I think I described it once earlier before as being, like, very dramatically wearing jeans. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he's got this, like, really cool, like, a Navajo-type print, uh, yep. coat or something like that. Uh, big ol' hat, uh, with, with like, feathers, with feathers in it. and stuff. Yep. Uh, and, uh, he just looks ruggedly handsome and cool. Although when you look at what the album cover was sort of uh, aping in the on the, uh, the, the John Wolf Phillips record, John Phillips' record, Wolf yep. King of L.A. Uh, I mean, that guy was a little bit. He pulled it off on his record cover just that much better.
1: Interesting. Yeah, J- John Phillips uh, interestingly had the top hat. Bob had more of a not exactly a cowboy hat, but sort of a you know, it's like a, 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 a Stetson or something. Yeah, a domed hat of some sort. Uh, yeah, he, he's he's got sort of a cowboyish vibe to him, but also sort of like a gypsy kind of look. Yeah, as the, well as like a woodsy Native American snowbound. Right. I mean, I mean, in this
0: in this era, he actually he performed for uh, a, a Native American tribe. Uh, I forgot exactly what that was. We'll get to that later. It's news to me. Um, it was during the, uh, the subsequent uh, period of the uh, Rolling Thunder era. But um, that, that that style of dress was uh, already in full effect here. Huh. And uh, he looks great.
1: He does look great. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's an excellent uh, excellent album cover some great shots of him some like uh, nice b-roll shots of him in that same photo shoot uh, if you're so interested in in searching them out Um, Black Diamond Bay yeah um, I mean
0: that's an interesting Black Diamond Bay is an interesting song I didn't even like realize that that is how it ends with like turning off the TV being like like the end of the Truman Show like what else is the song
1: yeah it is a very funny song uh, in that regard especially if we think of you know we're, we're not we're not sure that the I, the narrator of this song, necessarily is Bob himself, but if it is uh, it, it, it makes it that much funnier It's Joe it's Everyman,
0: kind of... with his Joe Sixpack, yes. uh, sort of watching television, and a comment on television yes. the, uh, the scourge of the 1970s, all the cultural critics were very worried about television Yes um,
1: um, Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun song, I think, and uh, definitely one that has been more rewarding need to come back I I have to
0: listen back to it sounds like you do I gotta do my homework sorry
1: and the record concludes
0: this now this is a real gem
1: with the only other song that was
0: solely written by Bob and uh, as we said before it would have been weird if anyone else wrote it because it's a very intimate song about and to his wife Um, I've discussed this uh, previously on the pod but um, this song features the most romantic lyric I've, uh, of all to me um, but first a little context so Sarah comes to the studio uh, this day um, I forget which day toward the end of the recordings yes. the sessions if not the last day of recording perhaps and uh um, and he, he does a few tracks, and then he... he Sarah's sitting there in the control room, and he, he goes, This one's for you. And he sings this. And uh, although this is, like, not the first cut of it, it sounds as as spontaneous and good as as if it were. Um, and, uh, yeah, a lot of the... Uh, for example, uh, Hurricane was another song I don't think we mentioned. It was very labored over, like... There were, like, takes and takes and takes and takes of it. And, uh, Bob was so burnt out that eventually he was just like, uh, pick a good one to the engineer.
1: Well, they, the hurricane, interestingly, uh, uh not to get too far off of Sarah, but Hurricane had been cut initially in the July recording sessions right. of '75, and then was re-recorded in October right before the Rolling Thunder Group went out on tour because the Columbia lawyers were worried that they were going to get sued because of some of the lyrics that were right. written, Right, which about were somewhat some inaccurate about
0: right. the actual details of the case. Uh, however, uh, the yeah, the, the final product you hear on that is um, actually kind of like a. Mysterious hodgepodge uh, edit, really, sure, of sure, sure. several takes. Anyway, uh, Sarah, Sarah is a beautiful. It's probably one of the best. I think it's the best song on the record. Hmm. Um, anyway, I think it's it's the one that feels like the truest follow-up to Blood on the Tracks. It feels kind of like as much as close as you will as I, as you ever really get to closure on the mysteries of. Have they had troubles in their marriage? What is going on? Um, It's a really clear and direct song to his wife, um, talking very intimately about his children playing on the beach, their children, and uh, these moments they've shared together. And it features this lyric that I find so romantic, which is him saying that he stayed up for nights Stay up for days in the Chelsea Hotel, writing Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands for you, which is like, uh, the, if listen to that song, because that's like the most beautiful love letter you could ever hope to receive. As, if I was a, married to Bob Dylan, I would be so happy to <laughs> have that song written about me. And then on top of that, you get a song like this, which puts the point home that uh, I wrote that song I wrote "Said i Bleeding in the Lowlands
1: he did and it does it's a song Sarah is a song I think that is really sort of almost like unique in his entire catalog like I I can't for the life of me think about another time when he's so nakedly straightforward and honest about like his personal life and, and the strife that's going on there obviously you have songs like you know Positively Fourth Street, or um, uh, Rolling Stone, or you know anything from um, Flood on the Tracks, but those are always sort of like you know couched in this like you know is he really writing about himself or is he sort of adopting a character here? And and this is literally just like the most straightforward autobiographical songwriting. Although
0: we've, as I said in our Blow on the Tracks episode, uh, in a later interview, I believe in '78, Dylan felt the need to say that this song wasn't necessarily about right, Sarah. Yeah. Which Oh.
1: That's oh, that's, oh, that's Bob. Come right on. on.
0: But uh, it features some beautiful lyrics like Radiant Jewel, Mystical Wife. Yeah. Mystical Wife was <laughs> mystical one that I know. Mystical Wife. Uh, <laughs> Bob beautiful is... Lady so dear to my heart. And uh, my favorite, Scorpio Sphinx in a Calico Dress.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's Wife material. That's good stuff. This song could be called "Wife Material."
1: His wife materials it could just be called "Wife." Wife. <laughs> wife by Bob Dylan. Um. Interestingly, it's got a waltz time signature. One two three. One two three. Just like ISIS, actually.
0: Sir. Se- well, interestingly, huh? Nah, yeah, there just you go. like ISIS, we've got a uh, another song about being married. Yeah. And uh, of course, Isis is not at all about his wife. That yeah. couldn't be.
1: Couldn't be. Uh, but, you know, who knows if Sarah is also. Who's to say that he is actually the writer of sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands? Um, yeah, I, I, it, it's a very strong song to end the record on, to me. Uh, it doesn't really fit with the rest of what's going on on this album in terms of all of these, like, dense, story songs um, or these weird, kind of, like, tossed off trifle things, like uh, Mozambique or Durango, um, but I'm, I'm very glad that it exists, um, and I, I, would, I would have been interested, and in, obviously would still be, but I don't think we'll get it, uh, to hear a song, to hear a whole record that was recorded in this kind of vein, where he was so uh, nakedly, you know, uh, uh, straightforward, just about his own personal strife and, and um, heartache and, and personal life, instead of always... Always operating behind the mask of whatever character that he wants to uh, wants to affect and never being uh, direct and, and explicit about who exactly he's talking about so he can always kind of jump and hide and evade any critic's particular interpretation of him. Right,
0: but I, I think that this song um, like Hurricane and Joey, I think before it, um, firmly places this in the as we've said before on this podcast cast uh, the non diegetic Bob Dylan albums, like this is an album that is, uh, I, I use that phrase to, to describe records which are like Bob taking a role in the in the drama himself. Like he he is sort of including himself in the in the world right. of the music and in the record. Um, he's referencing the real world, whereas like. There are records like uh, National Skyline, which, you know, you could just hear on the radio in full and not really think once about Bob Dylan as the cultural figure. They take a more broad approach. This one, uh, and this song especially, it feels specific. It feels like he is making a statement about his life, is the world that he lives in, hmm. and the world that we all live in.
1: Interesting. I
0: don't think I can put it better than that. Well, th- then that's the end. That's uh,
1: desire. How many? How many stars?
0: I, I have to give this record uh, two out of three stars um, because I think that while it. Uh, is is not one of the most cohesive records uh, not the most consistent it has a lot uh, there's a lot to like about it it has a unique flair all its own and uh, it it feels special for that Uh, that said I think it lacks a bit when you compare it to some of the high points um, which have a bit more of a um, a sense of a, a vision that goes all through it. This this has a strong musical vision, but I don't know that lyrically it um, has the cohesiveness or voice uh, uh, of his best work. Interesting.
1: Two stars is is sort of the. Uh sort of the default i think for a lot of these uh these records for me yeah i don't want to fall back on that but well so but that that's what i was going to say i think i think i'm going to be a little daring here tonight and say this is this is going to get a three for me
0: really okay
1: i think it is uh since since we're limited just to just to just to those three stars uh i think you know the record is um you know it isn't it isn't well, on the tracks, it isn't even National Skyline to me, but uh, just in the sense of it being like a, a wholly unique kind of uh, experiment in his re- recording career, and an and like an interesting document, I think, of this particular band that he put together uh, at this at this time, you know, for the Rolling Thunder Tour, uh, which you know he, he expressed, I think, around these times. I saw some quote when I was you know reading about this, like he expressed some sort of regret at never having put together, like, a solid backing band that he stuck with, you know, throughout his entire career. And that was kind of the aim of Mm. of putting together the Rolling Thunder group. Um, And this record does a really good job of of kind of capturing that sound and that spirit, as well as this just totally weird, atypical, like, writing mood that he was in, you know, in this partnership with, you know, a guy who uh, was a stage director and a college professor. Like, it's, it's a... It doesn't have any precedent in what's come before, and it isn't. It doesn't represent a direction that he goes in after this. Like it's just like this is this is it, and then we're gonna go. It's two more years until the next studio record, um, and uh, and by the time we get there, Street Legal, it's like you know totally off in another yeah, in another totally different direction. Thing. Um, well,
0: this that you make a good point, I think, because this record is the only uh, studio album that captures the Rolling Thunder aesthetic, right. uh, and the. The general direction that was um, achieved in, in in that experiment, which yeah. truly was an experiment. Um, someone who would agree with you is I was, I was just talking uh, with a uh, friend of the pod, Jacqueline Cohen, uh, Jackie Cohen, great musician, and uh, she loves this record. And uh, she was talking about how this record to her feels like an interesting um, and a beautiful. Moment where where Bob was sort of reaching back towards some of the like ideals of his earlier work, right. while also coming up with something new,
1: and yeah. um, I think and
0: it's and she also mentioned that she really felt it was kind of like Bob sort of um, figuring out a way to make up for the lack of uh, Joan of jump Bias, mm-hmm. like in a way, mm-hmm. like you you feel her ghost on this a little bit with. Bringing Emmylou Harris into the fold as a as a musical uh, partner and the violin, Scarlett Rivera. Scarlett Rivera. There is a feminine counterpoint to, to Dylan throughout this whole record, which right. which is I think very effective overall and uh, on this album, I think works uh, more so than maybe some of the more over overblown uh, female backing vocals that he would use later on but
1: that's for another day to discuss it sure is well desire folks uh give it another listen if you haven't in a while it's uh it's got a lot for you there and and i can assure you that there's more there's more left to dig out of it at least there was for me
0: we're the only ones left in the park it's really dark out and um is <laughs> sort of uh, presaging the dark night of the soul of Bob Dylan's divorce Exactly. In, enjoy uh, your time uh, before our next episode and uh, keep on keeping on and uh, Jokerman podcast.